All right, Rich says that's the great theologian John Lennon. But today we're going to listen to a different John, the Apostle John. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, is that all we need? Is, it all, we, is all we need love? Or is there more? Truth. Today we're going to examine the importance of truth and love. And I have the privilege of co-preaching with Rich Saplita. But before that, all the children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that door right there. And uh, turning your Bibles to the book of 2 John. 2 John. Let's pray for our brother who's really uh, getting touched by the Lord in that room right there. So, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon our brother. And, Lord, if there's any demonic presence that are trying to kill and destroy, we bind it up in the name of Jesus. We put the blood of Jesus over him. Lord, would you send angels to just war on his behalf, give our prayer ministers wisdom as they minister, and God, we pray in Jesus' name, you'd set him free today so that he can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, we don't believe in just kind of doing things, you know, church as usual. We really desire the presence of God. And if the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit touches somebody and the Holy Spirit moves them to emotion, and that goes for you, let it come. Let the Holy Spirit move. We're a word and spirit church. And if God wants to interrupt this whole service and hijack it and do something totally different than we planned, may He lead us and direct us. We want to follow His guidance. And I'm so thankful for trained people that, are, that know how to do deliverance, know how to do prayer. And uh, so they're ministering to Him right now, and that's cool, isn't it? It would be cool if every room was, was, had people getting touched and ministered to in a different way, you know. Because we want God to show up. We want God to have His way here. Um, so today we're in the book of 2 John. We finished 1 John, and uh, it's a book uh, that really brought correction to uh, bad doctrines, heresies that were present in that day. And how many know there's a lot of heresies today, false teachings today, misunderstandings about Jesus today just as then. And so today we, uh, last week, so thankful for Alex Fields. He did a, man, what a great job he did uh, preaching through Genesis 19. Loved all the gospel parallels that he brought in. Um, but today we're going to do 2 John, and then next week I'm going to do 3 John. And I have the privilege of doing this with Dr. Rich Saplita. Well, you'll hear a little bit more about his story as we weave it into this. But we have not rehearsed this. We have, I mean, we've gone back and forth a little bit, but kind of this is the direction we want to take. But we've not even done a dry run. We just wanted the Holy Spirit to lead as he wishes. And so this will be interesting because uh, I'll just read a verse and we'll talk about it. I'll read another verse and we'll talk about it. I'm going to keep us flowing. I'm going to watch the clock because we want to make sure we have time for Q&A today because we both love Q&A. Yeah. Uh, I'd love just to do a whole Q&A time. But that would be, yeah, we could. It would be that. awesome. <laughs> but, but really, if, if I, here's, what, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give kind of my one-sentence, couple-sentence summaries, if, what stands out to me in this book. Then I want you to do the same. Then we'll stand, we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll dive in verse by verse. Right, yeah. So my summary, what stood out to me in 2 John, is the, the need for truth and love and how applicable that is in our day and age, specifically with issues like the gospel. You need truth and you need love. You need to present the truth, but you need to do it in love. It's a really relevant on moral issues like abortion, homosexuality, gender choice, all that stuff that's so prevalent in our culture, standing on the truth, but doing it in love. So that's, that's kind of what stands out to me. Okay. Well, I've got, I've got f a five-word sentence. <laughs> Loving God is obeying God. 
And that is so critical both to 1 John, but also here again in 2 John. You've never been briefer than me. That was impressive. I can keep, I can keep going if you Wow, want. wow. All right, so let's stand, and I'm going to read 2 John in, in the ESV. Um, by the way, I really missed you guys last week. It was fun to preach in my brother's church, but I love being back here, and uh, it's a joy to, to be with God's family here today. 2 John, this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Amen? Hold up your Bibles if you have one. Hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. Love it. Bring your paper Bibles. Not that, you know, your ones on your phone aren't just as good, but I think there's something special about paper Bibles. Maybe I'm old school, but uh, you can, yeah. The elder, to the, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves. Living hope, watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Lord, we ask now that you would anoint the Word of God as we talk about it, explain it, make it practical. Lord, would you pierce our hearts, change our lives for our good and your glory. We reverence your Word today. Thank you for giving us your Word. Thank you for giving us truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the gospel. And we ask now the Holy Spirit to anoint this message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First of all, we... Pick up in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Some think this could have been reference to a specific woman present in the churches that he's writing to. Probably, though, it's a reference to the church in general. Uh, and what a, what a neat phrase, elect lady. Um, we are the bride of Christ. There's an, uh, there's an affection between God and His people. He's the groom. We're His bride. That speaks of intimacy. That speaks of relationship. And so that's probably what's referenced here. It's also mentioned in verse 5 and verse 13. 5 mentions elect lady, 13 mentions elect sister. That's probably what's going on there. Then he says, whom I love in truth. And notice how many times truth is mentioned just in the first two verses. Whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, that's Jesus, indwelling us. He's the the Word become flesh. We have the written Word, which is true. We have Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And then it says, and will be with us forever. Praise God that truth is eternal. 
So this, this issue of truth, I know for you, Rich, is pretty important because some that are newer to Living Hope don't know your testimony. Uh-huh. Rich was a professor of psychology at the University of Georgia. He was uh, an atheist. He was a pretty outspoken atheist. He was the faculty advisor to the Atheist Club at UGA. And we were doing an outreach a number of years ago, and he's out there with his sign, Ask an Atheist. So he was not only an, an atheist, but he was trying to unconvert Christians yeah. and kind of a, I don't know if I'd say you were a militant atheist, but you were certainly a, a very, evangelical a, a, there you go, evangelical <laughs> atheist. Wow. That's good. I've never heard you say that. I like that. Uh, and um, make sure we got good visibility for everybody. Um, so uh, long story short, we began meeting on a regular basis and over about a two-year period, God came upon him. He saw the reality of the truth of the gospel, specifically the resurrection of Jesus. That was the real apex because you said it's either true or not. If Christ did rise from the dead, then this is true and I've got an eternal accountability to him. If it's not, then you Christians are believing a big hoax, which Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, But you gave your life to Christ, was converted. Now he's got his master's in Christian apologetics and he's he's full-time apologist and evangelist and he's on part-time staff here at Living Hope. So this topic of truth is pretty important to you, I know. Yeah, so an an issue everywhere around us today, right? Like this issue of truth. Uh, The main project that I worked on for about six consecutive semesters and uh, going to 52 campuses all around the United States was called Truth on Display. And so really getting at the heart of what is truth. This is the question that uh, Pilate puts to Jesus uh, when he's on trial, what is truth? And, and so we need to talk a little bit about what that means. It's gotten so distorted today. Truth, traditionally, the philosophical definition of truth, that which corresponds to reality. What is really real? Okay, so what we're talking about is objective reality. Today, people talk about, this is my truth, mm-hmm. and that's your truth, and he has his truth, and she has her truth. Um, those are opinions, okay? That's what we would have called opinion up until about 20 minutes ago. But our culture all around us today, right, it's people are talking about my truth. Now, biblically and, again, philosophically, that makes no sense. Truth is objectively true, okay? So we can either believe true things or we can believe false things, but we do not have um, an internal type of truth that's true for us but not true for someone else. Reminds me of the proverb, there's a way that seems right unto man, but its way is the end of death. Its end is the way of death. And uh, don't we see this in our culture, you guys? Is what he's saying true? I mean, everywhere you go, it's like, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And, and uh, you know, whatever feels good, that, 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 if it works for me, it doesn't matter. So we're talking about objective truth. God is true. His word is true. Psalm 119 says, the sum of thy word is truth. And we will be held accountable to this, to the truth of God's word. Whether you believe it or not, you will and I will be held accountable to the truth of God's word. We do not determine truth. And if you think about it, aren't you glad we don't determine truth? Man, what a, what a mess it would be if truth was up for debate and we could not know what is true. But praise God, we know truth because of His infallible, inerrant Word. And so I'm so thankful for that. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace 
will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. Now, there's that beautiful two sides to the same coin. Tim Keller once said that truth without love is harsh. Love without truth is sentimentality. And there's no standard. But praise God, we have truth and love. God's Word, perfectly balanced with truth and love. Jesus, John 1, full of truth and grace. The gospel is full of truth and grace. The gospel says the truth is God is holy. The truth is we are sinful. The truth is you can't erase your sin on your own. The truth is Jesus died. Because of His love, He gave His life, He shed His blood, He took our sin, He bore the wrath of God for our sin. The gospel is full of truth and grace. And it's a beautiful balance. It's the, really, it is the flip side of the same coin because yes. true love includes truth and true truth includes love. So it's really, they're inseparable. Exactly. So, so the question I was going to ask you, it reminds me of the, you know, the age-old old debate about does God draw us or do we um, turn to God? And the answer to that is Yes. yes. <laughs> right? uh, God calls us, we choose, we make a decision to follow Christ. Both of those are true at the same time. This is another one of these things. Was, was Jesus God or was He man? Yes. Amen. <laughs> was Scripture written by men or was it authored by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Uh, what, was, was Jesus grace? Was He love or was He truth? Yes. Mm. It's another one of these mysteries of God where two things at the same time are fully and completely true. And I really desire, you know, one of our core values as a church is that we be a church of truth and grace. We want to stand on the truth, but we want to do it in love. And we want to always push people to the gospel. And so I think a great practical area, two areas that I think practically on this, first of all, salvation. The truth is Jesus is the only way to God. So we will not budge on that. We can't budge on that or we'd compromise and it would offend God. And so, you know, if somebody comes and teaches universalism, well, all roads lead to God. You don't really have to come through Jesus. No, we are not going to compromise on that. We have to stand firm on the truth. And that's what John is doing because later he's going to call these false teachers antichrist. That's strong language. We go, oh my gosh, that might offend somebody. That's not he's, very loving. That's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But it is loving because love is doing the highest good for another regardless of the cost of self. And so you're not doing the highest good for another if you let them believe something that's false and you don't lovingly present the truth. And so with salvation, we, we were going to stand firm. Christ is the only way. It's only through the blood because that's what the Word says. But we do it in love. We don't come and bash them over the head and, and you know, say, well, you don't believe my way, you're going to hell. I mean, that's probably going to bruise the fruit. And so there's a way to present things that you do it with kindness and love. Even if you correct your opponent, Timothy says you do it with kindness yeah. and love and gentleness. Another area that I think of today is abortion. You know, it's been a lot in the news. The truth is that child within the womb is a human being with a heartbeat and fingernails and a distinct DNA. The, the love and the grace is if you have been guilty of taking the life of that child, there's forgiveness in Jesus. There's healing in Jesus. And you guys, I think as this becomes more of an issue in our culture with overturning Roe v. Wade, we're going to need to really step up as a body of Christ even more in the love side. You know, I'd love to see somebody here that maybe has the financial means to buy a home and turn it into an unwed mother's home. 
where we would bring people in that say, I'm willing to carry my baby to term, but I don't have the means to do that. I need support. How cool if we had a home they could move into. And we have counselors and others, and we do have the means now, even with multiple resources for anybody who needs healing and forgiveness from that sin to, to, to get that. Can I say a word yes. there? Because, you know, we go out to the uh, abortuary in Lawrenceville. There's a, a plan, you know, so-called Planned Parenthood there right off of Lawrenceville. See, using that phrase could offend people, but it's true. Yeah. It's uh -huh. true that it's taking the lives of humans. Right. And so you don't use that phrase lightly. I don't use it lightly. That's right. I don't use it for effect. That's I mean, right. That's what's going on there. Yep. That's the reality. Um, but it's so, it's so amazing to be able to go out with signs that say, we will adopt your baby. Amen. Um, if you need, and that's what we do. We have signs, uh, prenatal care, perinatal care, um, counseling, baby registries. We've been honored uh, through Mary Catherine has coordinated that with multiple women now, and I'm sure we will again. Mm -hmm. So many of y'all have helped uh, within 48 hours, those registries being filled of, of mm -hmm. items needed for that baby so that we can take that out to the front lines, right? The truth is abortion is murder. Yes. Okay, how do we respond to that? By our love. Amen. Boy, that's so good, Rich. And and we've had four four couples that have said we will adopt, and we'll if if you're eight, wow. So we have eight couples in this church that have said we will adopt. Yes, praise God. <laughs> Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that would double. Eight more would come forth today. Wouldn't that be awesome? So when they go out there, you know, it's not this. You know, you're going to hell if you murder your baby. Not at all. It's with it's presenting truth. That this is a human being, but it's with love saying, we'll help, we'll adopt, we'll give financial support if needed. Absolutely. And may that increase today. And I, I wanted to use that as an example today with this verse 3 because it's so relevant. It's a big issue right now. And, and isn't it awesome that the Word of God is about truth and love? And I'm telling you guys, this combination applies to every issue you could look at today, and it presents the perfect balance whether it's homosexuality, whether it's gender choice, whether it's any issue you take, truth and love. Yeah. And in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. I mean, this is applicable for marriages, for relationships. You've got to be honest with your spouse. Honey, when you did this, it hurt me. I need to share that with you. That's truth. But I love you, and I'm committed to you, and I want us to work this out. That's love. Mm -hmm. And so in relationships, this is so practical. And Jesus had that perfect balance. Oh, yeah. So what did love? Here's the, Jesus, every, it's fair to say, I think everyone would agree, that everything Jesus said or done that we have recorded in Scripture was, was perfect love in that moment. Mm -hmm. How could it be anything else mm -hmm. if it were Jesus who was saying it and doing it? So the question is, what did perfect love look like in the moment? Well, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well you know, it was him revealing who he was and how to worship God and taking in this outcast and, you know, getting to know her life story and talking to her. Uh, in John 8, the woman caught in and, adultery. And, and wait, wait, with the woman at the well, he says, you know, the man you're married to is not your husband. Right. So there's the Confronted truth. her about her sin. Yeah. She'd been with all these men, but then he offered her living water. Right. Yeah. yeah. John 8, um, who, who condemns you, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Right? So you see that perfect love in the moment. But also, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. In the moment, that was perfect love. To the Pharisees, you are um, of your father, the devil. In the moment, that was perfect love. We don't think that way, but that was Jesus. Woo! That, that, you need to just let that 
kind of soak in for a minute. That's profound. Never heard it said that way. Everything he did was in perfect love. And yet some of those examples he gave don't, to us, doesn't it seem a little harsh? You brood of vipers, he called the Pharisees. And John the Baptist did too. All right, verse (laughs) 4. He would get fired by a lot of churches probably today. Oh. (laughs) Can I I give the... um, No. (laughs) That's not very loving. (laughs) You're judging me. Uh, (laughs) uh, The the anecdote about Penn Jillette. Oh, this is powerful. I hope it's still on YouTube. Y'all can Google this today. Not now. Not now. Maybe I could post it up in Living Hope Yeah, give this history. Yeah, so Penn Jillette is an avowed atheist. Have, y'all probably have heard maybe of uh, Penn and Teller, right? It's they're magicians, right? In Las Vegas, they do magic shows. Uh, and, and Gillette Penn is the bigger guy. There's one real big buff guy, you know, and then a small skinny guy. Um, so he's an avowed atheist. He's very well known in atheist circles. So he was doing a show, and after the show, he was signing books and autographs and stuff kind of in the foyer area. And, you know, he has kind of a, um, a groupies who follow him around. Many of them are avowed atheists, too. Well, there was one guy who was a big fan of Penn and Teller who takes the time to share the gospel, mm. a Bible-believing Christian, and takes the time to one-on-one share the gospel with him. And, um, and so some of these atheists were standing around and after that guy left, they went up to Penn Jillette and they say, hey, man, like, why didn't you tell that guy to get lost? <laughs> you know, you, you don't believe that. He's in here talking about religion and eternal judgment and Jesus. And he said, and, and so Gillette's response, he says, why would I do that? I'm like, what do you mean, why would you do it? You don't believe it. And he says, yeah, I don't believe it, but he did. And he says, how much would that guy have to hate me? to believe that I was going to spend eternity in hell and not tell me about it. Wow. So here's an atheist recognizing that if you really believe this, it is the loving thing to do, to share the truth of it with me. Wow. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Boy, you know, as a pastor, this really hits me because... I would say one of my greatest joys in pastoring is when I see you guys walking in the truth, when I see you guys growing in Christ, when I see you guys living up to our goal this year of be, be a disciple, make a disciple. And, and so I really can identify with John's pastoral heart here that he rejoiced greatly. And I'm also struck by that word, some. Some of your children walking in the truth. What about the others? What about those that weren't walking in the truth? So my question to you and to me is, are we part of the some? Are we part of the sum that is walking in the truth and loving God and obeying God and passing tests and, and, and doing the right thing when it's hard, just as we were commanded by the Father, verse 5, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. It reminds me of Jesus' words in John 13, I give you this command that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And that is so powerful. Jesus calls us to love one another. May we be known as a church of love. May we be known as a body that loves each other, that, 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 that 
sacrifices for one another, that prays for one another, that works out our relational conflicts because we will have them. That We don't cut and run, but we work it out. and We have those hard discussions when it's hard to say, you know, this hurt me or I don't agree with this or I think you mishandled this. And, and I pray that we as leaders, elders, elders, other leaders, small group leaders, other leaders, that we be humble, that we be teachable, that we be receptive, that we say, you know what, I need to look at that. Yeah, I blew it there, and I ask you to forgive me. And then I know verse 6 is real important to you, Rich, because you said this is kind of your summary of the whole book. But, and this is love. So how, this is cool because he says, okay, I'm going to tell you what love is, that we walk according to his commandments. Yeah, so in, in, in great peripateo, the walking out of the Christian life. That's a present progressive. It's a, an ongoing thing, uh, and it means obedience. Mm-hmm. So, so often downtown, uh, we do evangelism Friday evenings, and some of you all have been out with us. So common in the Bible Belt. People come by. They're tearing it up at the bars. Mm-hmm. Who knows really what else they're doing? A lot of them getting drunk. A lot of them are smoking weed, sleeping around. You never know, so we don't accuse any individual of that, mm-hmm. but that's the atmosphere of downtown Athens on Friday and Saturday nights. And so many of them are professing Christians. They come by, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Well, are you obeying Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? And so what I wanted to give was just talk very briefly here, um, a litmus test. How do you know if you really love Jesus? Mm -hmm. Well, that just takes us right back to 1 John. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go through all these verses, but your chapter in the Bible, your barometer chapter, your litmus test chapter is 1 John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. I'll give a couple of these verses just to review. 1 John 3, 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. This is New King James Version. In other words, does not keep on sinning. You mm-hmm. talked about that when you yeah. covered this. It's not saying that a, a born-again person will never sin. Mm-hmm. We don't live out a lifestyle of continual unrepentant sin. So is a person doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when they wake up in the morning, is the idea, God, I, I love you, thank you for this day, help me walk with you today. If I stumble, help mm-hmm. me get right back up and get back on track. Or is it like, well, this is my day, I'm going to do with it what I want. Yeah. Those are very different places to be in. First uh, John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, again, does not keep on sinning. First mm-hmm. uh, John three ten. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil, that's a, that's a harsh way of phrasing it, yep. are manifest. Um, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Mm. So there's your barometer right there. Yep. Are you practicing righteousness? Um, nor is he who does not love his brother. Yep. So there you have the obedience, but also the love. And then finally, 1 John 3, 18 mm. says, let us not love the world, uh, let us not love in word or in tongue. Well, what is that? That's the fake Lip worldly love. Mm-hmm. Love is love, right? That doesn't mean anything. That's really about self. Mm-hmm. When I just, just do whatever you want, man. Mm-hmm. You do you. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's worldly love. That is love is love. But I'm not loving you. Again, going back to the Pendulettes scenario, if I believe there's a God, I believe He's revealed truth, I believe you're either forgiven in Christ or you're on your way to eternal destruction, I'm not going to come up and embrace you and encourage you in a sinful lifestyle that I know is separating you from God. That's not loving. Amen. It's good. C.T. Studd, the famous missionary, it's a cool name, isn't it? I mean, he had to be a manly man to be named C.T. Studd. But uh, he, he was seen 
awake at 4.30 in the morning by a neighbor with a light on. They said, what are you doing, man? He said, I'm searching the scriptures to find commands that I can obey to show Jesus how much I love him. Any more on that? Well, okay, so I was going to anticipate an objection. You know, I I have so many of these formal and informal debates. Yeah, because you used to be on the other side. You were the one giving those questions Um, and debates. Well, this would come more from like sort of the culture, what we might call the cultural Christianity camp. And they would say, okay, objection, wait a second. All this stuff about obedience, right? True love must be obedient. Ah, that's that's just legalism. So that I wanted to talk, if we can, just a little bit about that word legalism. Mm -hmm. Because my understanding, that is not what legalism is. Uh, You're not being legalistic if a person professes to be a Christian and they're cohabitating with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and you say, hey, man, hey, brother, sister, I'm concerned about you here. That's a sinful way of living your life, and I'm here to pray with you. I'm here as your friend. I'll help you come stay at my place for a while if you need to. We've got to stop this. That's what the scenario, that that, that supposed conversation, that right there is perfect truth and grace. Right. Because you gave truth. It is sin, Uh and you wouldn't be loving them to just ignore it. Yeah. But you did it with love. Offering help, offering healing, offering forgiveness, offering help. Okay, so, so here's, here's what I deal with. Oh, well, you're just being legalistic. Mm. No, no, that's not legalism. No. Um, that is biblical Christianity yeah. <laughs> that we walk in holiness. That's not legal. Legalism says here are things that you must do, and here's a list of things that you must not do, and if you do enough, a good enough job over a long enough period of time, then somehow you'll be made right with God. That's yeah. legalism. That's right. Saying that a person who professes to love God and love Jesus should walk in holiness, that should be the goal. Of the, they should strive for that in their life. Yes, they're going to fall. They're going to get up. They're going to confess. They're going to turn back to Christ and keep going towards the cross. That's not legalism. That is biblical Christianity. That's yeah, so good. Yeah. Legalism, when you, do, when you think that by doing good things, you're going to earn salvation or earn favor or, or earn God's love. But obedience flows out of a love relationship with God. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And, and the, the other cool thing about what the, just the nature of God, He gives us commands. He gives us His Word. He gives us these truths for our good. It's, to, it's so that we might experience the abundant life. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. And so it's not that He's a killjoy. It's not that He wants to keep you from having fun. It's that he wants to keep you from destroying your life from sin. You know, you just think about all the, the ways lives have been damaged by sin. And God is like, I love you. I'm a father. I, I know that what this will bring about in terms of negative fruit. I want to help you avoid that. So I'm telling you these things so that your life might be abundant and joyful and fruitful. Because if you do this, there's going to be negative consequences. And so how cool that our, our loving, gracious, truthful father... Uh, gives us commands for our benefit. And He gives us the desire through the Holy Spirit to obey the commands. So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, and He gives you, as Philippians 2, that we, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you both to will, that's what you're talking about, and to do for His so good who, pleasure. who's working, you or God? Yes. Yes. Amen. <laughs> All right, verse, uh, where are we, 7? I lost, <laughs> I lost where we're at here. 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world. So now we're going to get in very much what he's dealt with in 1 John. These false teachers, and in this case, it's probably related to docetism, which is the belief that Jesus did not, he came not in the flesh, because God couldn't be in flesh, because flesh is all evil and bad. And so they were teaching false things about the identity of Jesus. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So they believe flesh was bad, spirit was good, so you couldn't have God in flesh because that would be God with evil and that can't happen. But we know God can dwell in flesh because He did in Jesus. That's why the virgin birth was so important. Then He calls these false teachers the deceiver and the antichrist. Not the antichrist as talked about in 2 Thessalonians 1, which is the lawless one who's going to come in the end times. This is, it's, a, it's a little a antichrist. Anybody who's presenting a different gospel... False beliefs about Jesus is anti-Christ. And so this is important because we have cults today. We have false teachers today. We have churches that present a false gospel today. So this is so relevant, you guys. You know, we talk here about the essentials and the non-essentials. We want to be united in the essentials. Anything related to the gospel, deity of Christ, trinity, blood atonement, salvation by grace through faith. Non-essentials are things we can differ on and still have unity if we're agreeing on the essentials. We can differ on style of music. We can differ on versions of the Bible that you use. Those are non-essentials. And so that's how, and then we have love in all things. So one of our mottos here is unity in the essentials, allow diversity in the non-essentials, and exhibit love in all things. Yeah, so one of the things, that's one of the things I love about the creeds. And sometimes, sometimes we do those here. I, I, I would like to see us even do that more because they're so rich for that, defining um, where is our unity, what are the essential truths of the Christian faith. And so one of the ways, one of the things I thought of there is um, rather than focusing on all of the possible ways for a person to be a false teacher, um, I, I tried to distill it to three elements, right, that are essentials that we must get right. You, you hinted at them there. Number, I would say, number one, the, the person of Christ. Amen. Fully God, truly God, truly man. He never ceased to be deity when he walked this earth. He added humanity to his eternal divine nature. So the, the essence of Christ, the nature of Christ, right? Um, that he's not a lesser God. He is one with God. By his very nature, he is God. Um, so, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, which is the atonement, mm. his perfect life, his mm. sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross, his burial and resurrection. What did he say as he was dying? It is finished. It is finished. Yeah. Okay. The work <laughs> of Christ, it is paid in full. Yeah. Can I add anything to that? No, absolutely not. So, any system that would say, now Christ didn't do enough you got to do something else that is a false teacher or a false teaching. So before you get to the third one, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to remove your sin and make you righteous before God? Are you trusting fully in the work of Christ? Amen? If it's Christ plus anything else, that ain't going to cut it. Christ alone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And so today, maybe you recognize, I've been trusting in my works. I've been trusting in my church membership. I've been trusting in my baptism. I've been trusting in my parents being a Christian. Are you personally trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? 
and for your righteousness. If not today, make that decision. Repent of that false belief and put your faith and trust in Christ alone. And at that moment, the Bible says you're forgiven. You're declared righteous. You become a child of God. You receive the Holy Spirit and you're born again. That's the good news, you guys. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we stand on. That's what we rejoice in. The precious gospel of Jesus that can forgive any sin. Jesus paid it all. That's Amen. what came to my mind, that mm -hmm. old song that we used to sing. So the person of Christ, the work of Christ. And then the third one I had is the life of the Christian. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about this, um, but avoiding the dual errors, a gutter on each side of the road of licentiousness, greasy grace, mm -hmm. <laughs> licentiousness, and on the other side of the road, legalism. Mm -hmm. a, a true teaching, the, the life of the Christian avoids both legalism and licentiousness. So licentiousness would be heavy grace, no truth. Legalism would be heavy truth, no grace. Right. So the beautiful balance of truth and grace, truth and love, is that there are standards. When we receive Christ, we're called to a holy, obedient life, not to gain His favor. That's legalism. But we're not also saved to just do whatever we want. Oh, I'm forgiven, so now I can just, you know, have license to sin. Paul said, shall we sin that grace may increase? May it never be. So you see how important both of these are, you guys. The importance of truth and the importance of love and grace. Yeah. All right. So, so can I yeah. speak just a little? And you yeah. hinted at some of the, the non-essentials, and I think this is really important to emphasize too because we don't want to be, we don't want to start drawing up lines of division where Scripture doesn't give us lines of division, okay? Person of Christ, absolutely that's a line of division. What are some things that aren't? Okay, so in apologetics, we cover a lot of this in our Ratio Christi group. Um, things like the age of the earth, I think of that. Now, I'm a young earth creationist. We could talk about that. It took me a while to get there, um, but that's where I've landed. Mm -hmm. But there are people I have fellowship with who believe that the earth is billions of years old. That, that's not an essential of Good. the Christian faith. We can adamantly disagree. It's an important conversation to have. Shouldn't divide us as believers. Should not divide us as believers. Um, the scope of the flood of Noah, was that regional to Mesopotamia? Was that worldwide? I believe in a worldwide flood. Okay, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that think that humanity hadn't made it out of Mesopotamia yet. yet all, yes, all people were killed, but that was not a global flood. Okay, we can disagree upon that. Um, I have a friend that says, when we get to heaven, uh, something I'm wrong about, I'll have to say, David, looks like you were right about that. You know, it's not going to make a difference then because my, God's not going to ask anyone, uh, you know, when they're at the pearly gates, how old do you think the universe was? That's not the, the test, right? Sorry, you got We're going to be so consumed with Jesus, these things probably aren't even going to come up. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, a couple of others, once saved, always saved, or, you know, kind of its cousin, perseverance of the saints. That's an important issue. And I have uh, beloved brothers on both sides of this that I work with constantly in outreach and evangelism and apologetics. Some believe that once you're, once you're saved, you could not possibly ever apostate yourself turn away and become an unbeliever again. Others believe that you can. Well, I, okay, that is, a, that is a really important issue. It's not a salvation issue. It's not an essential issue. 
Uh, maybe one more here just before we move on. Um, well, two. I'm not going to talk about eschatology, end times, oh, wow. different views of... Yeah, probably don't do too much time <laughs> right. there. Yeah. Uh, when are we raptured? We can disagree about that. And another one, I would say even the scope of spiritual gifts. Yeah. This does not need to divide believers right. in their essential faith in Christ. Yeah. Good word. All right, I'm going to move us. Yeah, isn't that good? And so, this is so practical for us as a church, at Living Hope Church. And we talk about this in Next Steps. We talk about this in our membership interviews, that we are adamant about this. We, are, we have to be united in the essentials. You cannot be a member of this church if you don't believe you can be saved only through Jesus. We love you. You can attend. You can come every Sunday, but you're not going to be received in a membership because we will not budge on the essentials. But we can differ on some of these other things. And still have unity if we keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Jesus and relationship with Jesus. Growing in Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. The cross. And all that comes with just what it means to be truly a child of God. And I love that here. I love our diversity. I love that we don't all agree on every doctrine. Uh, And I think that's so healthy, again, if we dialogue with love and understanding and grace. And we, we sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Sparks fly. Sometimes when iron sharpens iron. As spur one another on to good yeah. deeds and good works. The, the image there is the spur that you use to get your Kick horse, horse moving yeah. forward. That yeah. hurts the horse a little bit, but it gets him moving. Man, that's good. All right, number nine, or verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead. Okay, speaking of perseverance of the saints, here we go. I believe this verse teaches perseverance of the saints. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So this is one of the big doctrines of the Reformation. Uh, the perseverance of the saints. A true believer will persevere to the end. If, if they don't, then they weren't a believer in the first place. So they didn't lose their salvation. They were never saved in the first place. That's one of the doctrines of the Reformation, which I hold to. I, I believe too, in it. Way. And I think it's supported also in 1 John 2, verse 19. So we'll go there real quick because I'm going to move us along more quickly because I do want to allow Q&A. Uh, 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So a true believer will continue to the end. It doesn't mean that they won't stray, but if they do, Hebrews 12 says he disciplines those. If you're without discipline, you're an illegitimate child and not a true son. So a true believer will be disciplined by the Holy Spirit if they stray, and he'll draw them back eventually. Um, So then it says, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. That's consistent with John 15, that a true believer will abide. They will remain. Again, if they fall, if they sin, they'll quickly return because their Holy Spirit's grieved, and he'll quicken them back into uh, fellowship. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you, now this is a good, good example of a verse that could be easily misinterpreted, thinking that it says, well, if somebody teaches false things, you don't even talk to them, you're not even kind to them, that's not what it says. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So what was going on here is that these were traveling false teachers. They had to travel from village to village. So somebody had to support them. Somebody had to allow them into their home. Somebody had to give them meals. And he's basically saying, don't do that. You're financially supporting their wicked ministry if you do that. So you're still to be kind to them, still to be loving. And the word greet here literally means to enthusiastically support, cheerfully support. It doesn't mean you never say hi to them. It doesn't mean you're rude to them. But it means you don't enthusiastically support their ministry and you don't take them into your home because that financially helps them. And so you're basically helping them propagate a false gospel if you do that. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Okay? And then he says, though I have much to write to you, I'd rather, not, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you talk face to face. That hit me right there. Well, again, his pastoral heart. 
And uh, I can relate to this, man. I love just sitting down and getting to know you guys and, and talking. And, and let this be a little lesson right here, okay? Oh, I didn't have prepared to say this, but I think it'll be very relevant. When you have a disagreement, you don't go on social media about it. You don't do a passive-aggressive attack at somebody on social media. You get together with them face-to-face. Talk it out. We have differences. If you have something against me or our leadership, don't blast us on Facebook. Come and talk. Let's work it out. And I give you my pledge. I will listen. I will take it before the Lord. If I don't, may my elders rebuke me. And, and if I've been wrong, I will admit it and repent. I want to be right before Almighty God. I have to stand accountable to Him, not only for my own life, but for the church I've shepherded. I'm going to have to give an account. And so, listen, I want to be radically right with God. I want to hear well done. And if there's areas of my life that are out of line, even if it's a blind spot, help me. You guys can help me be more sanctified by pointing things out, but we've got to do it face-to-face and not through other avenues. And then I love when he says, so that our joy may be complete. You know, he obviously had the joy of the Lord. Ultimately, our joy comes from Christ. But there's also a degree of joy that comes when we're in good, rich, biblical fellowship with one another, and we're growing as disciples in Christ. All right, let's take some questions. So if a couple guys can come, the two mics up here, um, as those are getting going, and we're not going to do a text at end today. Sorry I didn't make a slide, so it's just going to have to come from the room. Ooh, we got a lot already, so... Uh, anything else real quick that, that I, we might have? Uh... There's so much you can talk about right, here. Probably better yeah, get yeah. questions. All right, so we got Charlie over here and uh, Kay over here. Right there, Robert. All right. Um, so speaking candidly, and I think a lot of people can relate, is that on the topic of evangelism, there's it's sort of in... in like our own spiritual lives, there's like seasons of vigor that there's times where we are like full, like on fire for like sharing the gospel. You know, we might just went to some like an apologetic seminar and we're like, like I'm about to like share this with everybody. And then a couple months go past and you're like, man, I I don't think I've really talked to anybody about this, like in a, in a, in a long time. And it's just like a series of, of ups and downs. What advice or wisdom would you hand off to those who are maybe discouraged by being in the rut or maybe even desire to see less like evangelistic ruts or declines, if you will? Oh, yeah. Great question, Charlie. Thank you. Um, wow, so much you could say there. I, I think maybe not. don't beat yourself up, right? Don't become like legalistic about evangelism. I didn't share with eight people this week, so maybe I'm not really a Christian. You don't want to land there, right? And we don't want to be, what I say is we don't want to be evangelizing or doing anything else in the Christian life um, from, from a mentality of I've got to do this. It should really, we want to be in a place of ministering from overflow, so maybe one of the reasons why a person is in a rut is because they really need to, it sounds kind of paradoxical, um, maybe why they're not going out or reaching out is because they need to do some more internal time, get alone with the Lord, take a half a day, go hike, go whatever you need to do, really fill up so you could be in that place of ministering from an overflow of the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in your life. That, that would be my observation. And you know, I'm in a place where it's real easy to get burnout because we're getting so much crossfire. I've got to do that a lot. 
much to my wife's chagrin, for me, that, that involves a motorcycle. Uh, I'm not recommending that necessarily for anyone else, but find a way to recharge and make sure that God's filling you up so you can minister from that point of overflow. I would add, too, just prayer. To really make it a matter of prayer, even Paul did this. Pray that an open door may be provided. So just praying, God, stir my heart. God, would you open doors? God, I ask you to give me opportunities today, even if it's just sharing my testimony with somebody. Have a top ten list, uh, ten believers, ten unbelievers you know that you're praying for on a regular basis, praying for the neighborhood around you, going prayer walks. Because um, prayer, prayer is a form of evangelism. When you pray for unbelievers, you may not be talking to them, but you're affecting their soul. Um, because 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers that they not see the light of the glory of the gospel. And in prayer, we can have an effect in asking God to send angels to bind those demonic spirits that are blinding their minds. So that's a labor of love to pray for somebody's soul when they're unsaved. Oh, what's the correct way to handle like a Jehovah's Witness coming to your door? Great, yeah. For, I would say it depends on how, you know, if you're equipped well, you know, and I'll say this arrogantly, I'm equipped well. I love to take out my Greek New Testament, which they don't know, what, and show them that in John 1, their Bible is inaccurate. It doesn't say a God, because their Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was a God. I said, in the Greek, there is no uh, a God there. It says, in the Word was God, and they, they hem and haul. So I can literally take out my Greek New Testament, show them that if they want to, or you can take out the interlinear with the Blue Letter Bible app, which Alex mentioned last week, and show them. So if you're equipped, man, have a dialogue, have a conversation, pray that God will open the eyes of their heart. But if, if not, then it's probably best just to say, you know what, I, I, I am firm in my belief, I'm born again Christian, I'm following Jesus, I'm trusting in Him. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? You know, direct it toward them. But, it, but they have ways of kind of getting, doing mental gymnastics and, and uh, scriptural gymnastics that can get some younger believers who aren't equipped in a real tailspin. And so in those cases, it might be best to not get into a lengthy discussion or say, hey, again, they'll be willing to come back. Would you be willing to come back next Saturday at 9 and then you have a friend there or a couple friends and you're ready? Because let's not, let's not, let's believe that God could bring that conversation to, to bring them to true salvation. There are many that have come to Christ out of Jehovah Witness and seen the light. And there's a lot of other things. They're, they're very legalistic. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that's off base in their system. And they're out there doing that to get points with God and to be one of the 144,000. They believe that. What are some best practices when another believer says that your convictions are error or heretical? Like, I just kind of wanted some practicals towards that. Depends on what the issue is. You, I don't know if you could give an example, but again, if, if your beliefs are, I think it, again, hard without an example, but bringing it back to essentials and non-essentials. If, if it's about an essential, then you go right to Scripture. This is not my conviction. This is what the Word says. But if it's about a non-essential where there's been debate for 2,000 years, then there may be room to say, you know what, this is my interpretation. I understand you have a different view, and that's okay, you know? It's not essential for the gospel. I, when they came to my door, the Jehovah Witnesses, it was two men, and I was out 
walking my dogs, and I saw them, and I thought, oh, no. But then God gave me the right words when they came up to me. I said, sirs, may I tell you this. The bottom line is Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe that he is God in the flesh who died for your sins, you're going to hell. And that's just plain and simple. I hope you turn to him. And they said, have a good day, and they haven't been back since. (laughs) Hey, Kathy, this is where age is really a benefit, isn't it? You know? Come downtown with us sometime. We need you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I could have seen that. Next time you do that, have somebody video it, please. I love it. All right, over here. Um. Well, I've been asking God how to approach this conversation. Um, I have some family who has some gender identity stuff going on. Um, I have friends that uh, definitely, like, you know, are crossed, believe that, like, cross-dressing kind of stuff. Um, I love them. I don't know how to have these conversations or like where even to begin that I don't know if this is a good question but it's a um, very good question it's something I've been asking God about wow Uh. so I I think that relationship is key if there is a relationship with this person where y'all can really have honest discussion it's a family member right is that what you're saying so hopefully there's a relationship of trust and love if that's there then I think, and again, bathe it in prayer. Because I'm telling you, this issue is so, the enemy is so active in this issue. I mean, literally, literally demonic spirits are deceiving people. This is not just a flesh and blood issue, guys. I'm telling you, this is demonic. And the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy to steal identity, to steal truth, to steal their gender. Um, So this is very complicated, but in general, I would say if there's a relationship there, then I think, you know, seek to to speak the truth as much as it's received. Gauge it by the receptivity. If you're getting resistance, then that's probably the time to back off and just channel your energies to prayer. But if if truth is received, then, you know, bring it. But again, it's truth and grace, truth and grace. Um, if the person has already made a transfer, then that's a whole different discussion, you know, because you, you've got to, you st- yeah, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. What came to my mind was uh, something from the tactics book, Greg, Greg Kugel. We actually use this a lot on these issues that are so hard to talk about. Uh, we don't want people, of course, their narrative is you're transphobic, you're a person of hate, unless you embrace everything mm-hmm. down the list, then they want to label. I'm not saying your friend wants to do this, but that's kind of how the movement works. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the sword they wield, right, mm-hmm. to, to sort of antagonize people. Um, so I think using kind of like working out a contract with the person, so mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of saying, okay, inform, it's called an informal contract, right? So I want to talk with you about something and I want you to know up front, I love you, I care about you. Um, this is probably going to, it might be a difficult conversation. It might step on your toes a little bit. I'm not attacking you because I hate you. It's, it's quite the opposite. I want to bring some truth here because I really care about you. Are you willing to do that? Can we have that conversation? So 
Because they're, they're going to know what you want to talk about, and maybe they'll say no, in which case, hey, at least you tried, right? And the, periodically, you can keep on trying. Mm -hmm. But if they say yes, then you can kind of proceed so and bring good. up the issue. Well, that's so good, Rich. All right, uh, time-wise, one more. Okay, um, my question is about Roe v. Wade, because I'm Canadian, and I don't actually know what our abortion laws are based on in Canada, but I do know that we usually, in many ways, follow the states. So I've had Canadian friends ask me about what, you know, what, what's really going on in the USA, because I, I have three teenage daughters, four kids, three teenage daughters. So they're, because of social media and everything, they are bombarded with uh, talking points. Mm -hmm. And my 18-year-old daughter told me that abortion isn't specifically mentioned in Roe v. Wade anywhere, mm -hmm. even though I always associated Roe v. Wade with abortion. Mm -hmm. I think everybody does. Yeah. And she said, you don't even understand, Mom, what we've really lost because it's a hat trick. It has to do with privacy. So since I don't really understand, and I always thought it was about abortion, which for me, I was raised personally, it's a no, but for other people, you don't have the right to take away other people's rights, which is definitely in step with like mainstream culture. That's the that's what my kids are getting. That's the message to who are you to tell me what I can do with my body yeah. and what are the other what's the win, like what how what's the outcome of having something that has to do with privacy overturned. Yeah, overturning Roe v. Wade had nothing to do with taking away people's privacy. There's nothing in the constitution about uh, abortion. So it was an excellent decision because it should have never been approved in the first place in 1973. It goes back to the states, which is what our Constitution is intended to do, is put it back to the states. And so it was a terrible ruling in the first place just from a, just from a legal standpoint, from a constitutional standpoint. And so this idea that this is now taking away people's privacy and it's going to be a chain reaction, that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, and so that's just a smokescreen on their side. Um, and so it's about life. And it's about putting it back to the states. It's about protecting life. And so this is why we need to stand for life, because follow the science. You can prove that a baby in the womb is a human. You can prove that a baby in the womb is a human without even using Scripture now, praise God, because of ultrasounds and other scientific proof of the heartbeat and the fingernails and the blood and the distinct DNA. And so it's not the woman's body. It's a different body in the woman's body. That's the truth, okay? At the same time, anyone who has been guilty of taking that precious life, men and women, because men are just as responsible, they need to face the truth of their sin. This is why we shouldn't back away from truth, because you can't fully repent if you don't realize you've done something wrong. You know, the guy that went into the classroom and killed those kids recently, what do we say to him? Well, you know, you had a bad childhood. You know, you probably were having a tough day. We'll just give you a slide on this. What? No, we say he needs to hear every one of those people saying how, they t how he took their, their son and their daughter. He needs to face the ugliness of his absolute sin. Then he can repent. Then he can properly turn from that and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And again, we're not going to you know, push this in the face of any woman who's had an abortion. But we've got many here that have had abortions and been healed. I'm looking at several right now who have been healed of that sin. And, but they had to face the, the ugly truth of that sin before they could receive the beautiful grace of Christ. 
in the beautiful blood of Jesus and the healing that he offers. And the cool thing about it is when he heals them and forgives them, they are able to help bring healing and, and, and minister to others that are in that same boat. And that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? God can redeem our pain. God can redeem our sin. And you can be a wounded healer. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you today for your awesome word, your amazing truth, your amazing grace. And, God, how it just so comes together at the cross. God, we glory in the cross today. That there we see truth on display and love exemplified and love personified in Jesus. So we just fall at your feet, Lord. Listen, if you're here today and you've not received Christ, you've not repented of your sins, you've not put your faith and trust in Christ alone, do that right now. Just say, Lord, I trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I open the door of my life. I invite you to come in and save me and take control of my life. You pray that right now and you tell somebody, tell somebody as soon as this service is over. Now, where is God speaking to you, Christian, in terms of truth and grace? Where might your truth game maybe need to improve? Or where does your love game need to improve? Just let the Lord just maybe search your heart right now. Are there some areas where you need to be more bold to stand for truth? Or maybe the love and grace piece needs to be added more. each commit ourselves to being people of truth and grace. And finally, maybe there's an area of obedience, an area in which you know you're being disobedient to God and you need to turn from that today. Confess that. Receive His grace and mercy. Maybe you need to pray with somebody about that. So if our prayer team would, let's all stand. And if our prayer team would take your spots, please. Anybody on our prayer team, just be available along the sides. If anybody needs to come for prayer, come and just have somebody pray over you about something. This is a great response song that we're going to sing. It's about giving our heart to the Lord. And let's sing it with all of our heart. Don't sing it if you don't mean it. Just here's my heart, God. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I want you to be in control. I want to live your word. So you respond as the Lord leads you. The prayer team is available.